0: (laughs) Hello everyone and welcome back to the Forgecast. My name's Sam Towns. And I'm Alex Norton. Before we get into today's episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor.
1: This week's Forgecast comes to you thanks to Australia's finest purveyor of all things abrasive, Rob and Weber Abrasives. So after the show, check your stocks of grinder belts, hand sanding sheets, needle files and more and restock what you need at
0: webers.net.au. Yes, with that being said, what have you been getting up to this week, Alex? Been a busy boy.
1: Yeah, some health stuff made my week a little slower than I would have liked, but I did manage to get quite a bit
0: done. Um... I finished... Had your entire the, entire Instagram following convinced that you were dying. Yeah, because <laughs> nobody reads text descriptions.
1: Apparently ever, Apparently. Um, no. The, um, I finished the joke Sloyd knife, uh, which I can't reveal publicly because uh, the intended recipient follows me on Instagram mm-hmm. and they haven't gotten it yet. So I'm really looking forward to dropping that really terrible joke. <laughs> Um, because it it came out really cool. Um, I started uh, and finished uh, a multi-blade Trappist lip joint uh, to test my speed uh, because we've got the 48-hour dagger challenge coming up and I wanted to um, see how fast I could do something complex uh, because I'm going to need that practice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I did it in 18 hours. So... It was pretty relaxed 18 hours, which kept having interruptions and things. Um, so it came out really nice as well. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty happy. With it. I'd never done a multi-blade slip joint before. Um, I did the multi-blade liner lock, which was, even though it seems like it would be more complex, was actually far less complex. Um,
0: mm. spring tensioning two blades. Yeah,
1: and having everything line up Perfectly and, and not interact with each other because there's no center um, liner or Divider, spacer yeah. between them. It's, it's literally right next to each other. So um, I, I wanted to test can I do something that I've never done before that's very complicated and do it fast um, with a high level of detail and I was pretty happy with the results for 18 hours. So um, it was literally done just to practice for the 48 hour dagger challenge without doing something that looks anything like, or is related to what I'm going to be doing, which is my super secret project. So mm-hmm. we're less than two weeks away
0: now. So, I know. Um, I still it's... haven't finalized my design. <laughs> oh really? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um,
1: well, speaking of not finalizing designs, I had planned because my, my, super secret build is so insanely complicated that i had planned to do it in mono steel just because you know minimizes any risk and makes it a bit easier to finish and all that Uh, and then i thought you know what if i'm going this hard i may as well make it high layer damascus
0: as well so oh yeah do it (laughs) at least you can make the at least you can make the bar beforehand
1: Yeah. So basically between now and then I want to have the bar as ready as possible, like, uh, flattened off as best I can and, uh, thicknessed properly. And, um, yeah, I, I, my my slate is clean now up until then so i've i've got a while away the time between now and the challenge uh somehow so i thought why not make a uh, a, a large bar of of high layer damascus so <laughs> um, i've cut the pieces and uh tomorrow if the weather actually is kind to me i'll be starting to produce that because uh the weather here has been awful wind storms like you wouldn't believe um so, do you still have
0: that chunk that I sent you?
1: You do. Uh, I, I do. I, I used most of the f- big
0: one, the three pound one. Uh, yeah. No, uh, I that, meant the, that's the other stuff used. that I sent you recently. It's probably not big enough to do a dagger blade out of. No, my build requires
1: quite a bit um, mm. for reasons that I can't go into. So <laughs> I, went through my, I went through my stash to see whether or not I had anything pre-existing, but... A, anything that came close, I didn't make. Um, and right. B, nothing that came close was clo- uh, like it would be enough that I would feel comfortable that it would yeah. be enough. Because like, I be want to have it close. I want to have extra. So I thought I'll, I'll play it properly and I'll, I'll do the full soul authorship thing, make it myself and make way more than I need. Uh, Because you can always use spare Damascus, especially high-layer Damascus. So, um, yeah, I I need about a 40-centimeter bar. I think I'm going to get a 70-centimeter bar, depending on how much um, scale I'm going to lose. So we'll see. Um, I I think I'll opt for not using the fly press, and I'll just steal Broden's 20-ton log splitter press because it makes it get done in fewer heats. And I'll lose yeah, my fair enough. So I, I hate making Damascus, so it's an event for me. Everybody else, it's like, it's just why am I gonna be such a big deal? It's just making Damascus. I hate it. I loathe the process of making Damascus. <laughs> so I'm putting aside a week just so that I can be totally play it safe and just take my time with it and make it a really nice bar of Damascus.
0: Yeah. So, it's funny funny 'cause I, I love making Damascus. I just hate finishing it. Yeah, I love finishing it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh,
1: my song of the week this week is um it's a cover of an incredibly famous song and it's a covers can either be terrible or they can be phenomenal um this one's both (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's it's so bizarrely weird that it's awesome um it's a cover of the song comfortably numb by pink floyd which Mm. um objectively in any pantheon of the greatest songs in history, that would have a place in the, the top X number of songs. Yeah, it has um, to be, yeah. It has to yeah, be to like if you were to ask anyone that loves music for like the, the 50 greatest songs ever written comfortably numb would have to be in there somewhere. Um, mm. If you're like me, it would be very close to the top. Um, mm-hmm. But... Yeah, it, it's, it's just it's objectively one of the greatest songs ever made. Um, but I've actually mentioned this cover before on the show but haven't actually added it to the playlist. There's a band that I love. It's one of my all-time favourite bands because they're so awful that they're great. Um, <laughs> they're actually musically very gifted, very, very gifted, but their lyrics are always like the most bro shit You can imagine. It's just. They sound like, you know, frat boys that spend their Mm -hmm. weekends getting mashed and doing burnouts in, you know, pickup trucks. (laughs) But their music is phenomenal and the singers have brilliant voices and all this sort of thing. Anyway, uh, that band is called Hot Action Cop and they uh they they do a lot of stuff with the need for speed soundtracks and that this is the sort of music that they normally do but for some reason they they had a, a big successful career in like uh, 2000 to 2004 sort of thing and then just kind of disappeared and nobody gave a shit about them anymore and for some reason they just popped up a few years back and dropped a shit you not a scar punk Cover of Comfortably Numb <laughs> and then disappeared again. And you would not think that scar punk would be a, a genre that would fit Comfortably Numb. <laughs> but it's really good. It's mm-hmm. really, really strangely good. And it's, I don't know, it's just their other music is not ska punk. They're not a ska punk band.
0: No, I mean and yet, like we've already got one of their songs on the playlist. Yeah, and it's um, as and far it- <laughs> from scar as you can imagine. Yeah.
1: And that's what their music's normally like. But for some reason they thought, hey, why not Scar Punk cover of comfortably numb? But they rocked it. For some strange mm-hmm. reason, it works really well. And so, um, I've been listening to it a lot, actually. Um and uh, yeah, it, it had to go on the playlist and I, I highly recommend that everybody listen to it and subject <laughs> yourself to this because it's the sort of thing where it's like it shouldn't work but it does. You know, like like some flavor combinations. Mm-hmm. But you don't think, you know, apple and cheese will work together. They sound like they won't work at all but then you eat them and you're like, oh my God, where has this been all my life? It's It's kind of like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair enough.
1: So what about you, Sam? Yeah, I see you making blades again.
0: Oh god, yeah. Almost like my business name isn't Samtown's Bladesmith. I haven't made a I haven't forged a knife in what it feels like forever. Um But yeah, the the other day when I was in the shop I finalised I finished building the uh the finished relining my postbox forge and I had it fired up and you know, it was doing the curing cycle and I was kinda like While it's curing, I should forge a knife. Mm. (laughs) Uh, And one of the big things is that my girlfriend, um, I cook at her place a lot because I love cooking, but I haven't had an opportunity to cook a lot uh, since I moved out. Um, So I've been taking an opportunity there, but she has these really crappy scan pan, like uh, painted, like, you know, they're painted black. Yeah. Knives. Yeah, I've
1: used them before. They're not good.
0: <laughs> with like the hollow ground edge, that's like a ten mil high, and like then it's got like a four mil thick edge. It's like a, it's like using an axe with a really cheap plastic handle.
1: <laughs>
0: um, it is the most horrible experience. And every time I go there, I'm like, I need a good knife. Like I need a good fucking knife. This is killing me. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't had the time, so I decided that in. The lead up to the forty-eight hour dagger challenge, and also just to get my hand back in the game on knife making, because I have to start practicing if I want to make my journeyman smith set. I mm-hmm. would make myself a quick kitchen knife, like a quick chef's knife, and practice both my forging and my grinding skills, and do a little bit of handling. A quick shin uh, knife, a quick shin knife, yeah, indeed. Um. So yeah, I also I'm doing a video of it. I'm doing two videos of, of it actually. I'm doing a how to forge. Uh, kitchen knife and then i'm also doing a full build video because i'm making it out of the, literally a lump of the end of one of the hex bars that i use for mm. uh my hex hawks um originally i'd intended to make it out of a roller bearing because i used to have a whole bunch of like those medium-sized roller bearings like the ones i sent you mm. uh but i gave them all away i had an entire bucket of them and i gave them all away mm-hmm. <laughs> so i was like oh well i've got this random offcut i'll just use this. Um, just for fun. Um, But I also spent the afternoon after I did that uh, cutting hammer billets uh, in preparation for making stock for Mm -hmm. Sydney uh, Knife Show, not sorry, uh, Adelaide Adelaide Knife Show in November. Um, I cut 12 billets, four three-pounders, four uh, two two and three-quarter, and four two and a half. Um, Because, you know, I find those to be the, the usual suspects for For uh, hammer weights, Um, and yeah, that's that's going to take up a lot of my time in the next couple of weeks. I've also got to make tooling for the forty-eight hour dagger challenge dagger. Uh, Because I'm doing everything by hand tools and I need certain hand tools that I don't have. And again, I haven't finalized my fucking design yet. So I'm like, I'm running out of time and I'm kind of losing my mind. I'm not going
1: to have the chance to watch you while it's going on, but I'm very much looking Mm -hmm. forward to going back and watching your process (laughs) because doing it all with hand tools is going to be super interesting to watch
0: yeah it's it's gonna be fun I reckon it's like it's gonna be a good challenge it's gonna be fun but it's also gonna be a hell of a challenge and um I am not prepared at all (laughs) like I I am so underprepared especially because I've got so much other shit that I'm supposed to be doing it's been really hard recently um but with all that being as it is doesn't really matter I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing and hope for the best. Cross my fingers. I don't think anyone can
1: be fully ready for the 48 hour dagger challenge.
0: No, I could be in a much better place than I am, but you know, that's true of everyone. So I'll just do my best with what I've got. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I suppose that's the whole point of uh, of the whole point of the 48 hour dagger challenge in general, do the best with what you have. Um, But uh, funnily enough very much like your song of the week this week uh, mine is a little out there um, and it's it's a band that I was actually introduced to by a friend of mine who is a massive metalhead like they only listen to metal and their like their idea of like soft, soft music is just like soft metal and then they listen to everything up to like black and death metal and all that kind of stuff. And they have this wide range but they wanted to introduce me to metal and they thought that this band would be like a perfect intro and it had, to be, it had to be introduced to me through the music videos because their music videos are the most hilarious thing I have ever seen in my life. Right. They are so incongruous <laughs> and weird. It is a German metal band um, and it's, it's, it's not Ramstein, <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a German metal band called electric call uh,
1: Okay. Electric
0: Callboy. Like, and the, the song itself is called we got the moves. Right. And having watched it, I swore I just had a really bad LSD trip, <laughs> but they've got so many of these amazing like music videos where they did they've done like 80s like um they did like an 80s jazz-size ripoff i oh god it's so weird but the music is really good like it's actually really catchy <laughs> and it's actually like it's not metal as you would think of like thrash metal or anything like that it's you know metal has a wide
1: range though. it
0: is incredibly yeah it's incredibly nuanced but honestly, after being introduced to these guys, I just kind of became, you know, like a bit of a fan myself, but it, it, you cannot experience it without watching the music video with it for the first time, right. because it just, it gives you a whole different experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I highly recommend watching We Got the Moves the whole way through because it just gets weirder and weirder as it goes. Like it starts pretty weird, but, um, and I love the ball haircuts. Like you they've all got these amazing, you know, bowl cuts right. for the for the video. It's hilarious. But yes, electric Cowboy. Right.
1: <laughs> well we have um quite a few emails.
0: Yeah, let's do those.
1: Um or we have inspirations.
0: I'm cool with either, but seeing as I already okay. said we should do the emails.
1: Alright, well our first email comes from Eric and he says, hey gents I'm a woodworker by trade and I've recently made a few simple shop tools because I either couldn't find them in stores or couldn't justify the cost that put the bug in me of wanting to make more of my own tools, chisels, scrapers etc. That being said I recently started taking an interest in blacksmithing for that purpose. I just found your show and I've listened to about 10 episodes. I appreciate listening to you talk about the craft. And as I'm hoping to set up a simple solid fuel forge in my yard, I really hope you decide to do the $100 challenge. Thanks for all you do. Grace and peace, Eric. Thanks, Eric. We've actually, I've been getting inundated with messages, people saying we need to do the $100 challenge.
0: Yep. Literally every second message I got in the last week has just been, <laughs> do it, do it. Uh-huh. So
1: next email comes from Brad. He says, Hi, Forgecast. After two years of making knives and giving them to family and friends, I'm now happy with my fit and finish. I am now considering going to a local market to test the water and get my name around locally. I'm using 1084 heat treating in a gas bottle forge using heavy wall pipe with a thermocouple, three normalized cycling, heat up to 800-ish and checking on with a magnet and then into oil with a temper of two by two hours at 200 degrees Celsius. The test bits that I have snapped look good. Skater file and the owners of the knives have been given away say that they hold an edge and are easy to sharpen. I would like to know the hardness of my work before selling for peace of mind. My questions are, one, how often do knife makers check the HRC of the knives they make? Two, what options do beginners have to test a blade with a limited budget? Three, as I have been learning, I am the only one using canola oil for quenching, um... Oh, I have only been using canola oil for quenching. I will be purchasing a proper quenching oil for future blades. Do you think the change of oil will make any major changes to the end result of the heat treatment? Thank you for all the great information you share and keep up the good work. P.S. The $100 challenge is a must. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for the email, Brad. So to answer your first question, how often do knife makers check the HRC of the knives they make? In general, not as often as they should.
0: But like it really depends on the maker. Um, I will openly admit that I have almost never checked the HRC of my knives. Mm -hmm. Like the only the only time, the the only time I've ever really checked the HRC of my knife is when I was going for mass spectroscopy on a couple of random scrap bits, and I had some knives with me. And the center that I went to had an HRC tester, so I had them tested. Um, and because I knew that the system that I'd used, I basically just assumed after that 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 was the reliable result I was getting not that I advertise a certain HRC and that's the only reason you really do that is mm. to advertise the HRC. If you're I don't doing a advertise HRC as well
1: of the multiple yeah. of the same knives and you want that consistency you really want to be able to know what the HRC is.
0: yeah that's it I mean I don't advertise HRC online. I advertise usability. I test my knives to destruction in many cases. And in the cases where I'm not destroying them, I'm selling them. I test them before I sell them. Well, this um, is it. And
1: it's a, it's a probably a controversial thing to say, but it is me. Um, <laughs> but, um, I think people often will see other knife makers doing a thing and then assume, oh, this, this has to be done this way. And then they'll go and just sort of repeat that over and over again. And, and there's so much more to... How a knife performs, then its Rockwell reading. Mm. Um, I mean, you could have a knife that is, you know, fully tempered and sitting at sixty-four HRC, but it's full of microfractures. So as soon or as you're actually going to use it, gigantic grain, <laughs> yeah, or or a million other things that could be wrong with it. It could be a handle covered in hot spots that makes it painful to use. There's, there's so much more to it than just the, the HRC. So, um, what Sam was saying he does with his knives is the same as what I do with my knives, test the hell out of them before we make them pretty to make sure they're actually going to stand up to what they, um, are uh, advertise that they are capable of doing. And, um, really you sort of get an indication of at least the range of the HRC from that uh, that yeah, process, I mean, especially doing things like, you know, the um, mild steel baton and things like that.
0: I have I have never seen Kyle Royer hardness test any of his knives. I don't I think, think I he has have, a Rockwell I tester.
1: Files. I think he's got files. He might,
0: he might have HRC files, but I don't see him do it very often. But like actually, um, that's the budget option, yeah.
1: Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say that rolls in the question too, the – the best budget option is get a set of Valorb, Velorbe, Valorb, yeah. Valorb yeah. <laughs> files. Valorbe, yeah. They're about 100 120 bucks You can get a set of those files. Um, actually, Nordic Edge um, sells uh, actually I think a better idea uh, the than chisels. the files. The, the little chisels because you can resharpen them uh, over yeah. and over again. Um, and Matthew, they're all – Matthew. It's like a little keychain yeah. of them with the different HRCs on them.
0: Matthew Parkinson from Dragon's Birth Forge makes those. Um, yeah, really he started really making them say. a couple of years ago. Yeah, so do yeah. I. But, like, yeah, ch- the chisels or the files, either way, they're probably your only budget option because, other than that, you need a Rockwell hardness tester and they could be like $1,200, $1,500. Yeah, and
1: need um, repeated calibration and dialing in, and they're the very fragile pieces of equipment. And, yeah, um, depends on how deep down that rabbit hole you want to go.
0: Yeah, they, they're good for peace of mind, but they're not actually useful for anything else. Because, you know, a diamond has a really high HRC, <laughs> but it's also incredibly fragile.
1: There is a halfway point between files and chisels uh, and the HRC testers, and that's the little um, lens testers, where basically mm. you have a calibrated center punch. And you hit that center punch into your work, and then uh, look down a little scope to see how deep the punch mark yeah. went on a little. Looks like a little sniper scope that you look down. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what they're called. Um, they're uh, still three or four hundred dollars, but it's yeah. cheaper than getting a full-on HSE tester.
0: The higher the accuracy of the test, the more expensive it gets because it's yeah, all about like calibration. Most things,
1: really, yeah,
0: but um, it's not you know. necessary.
1: As for upgrading your oil, it's absolutely going to make a difference.
0: <laughs> um, Especially high-speed oil. In yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. For 1084 or like those simple carbon steels, like upgrading to a high-speed oil is going to massively change your game. Yeah. Um, Laren Thomas, who wrote Knife Engineering, um, did a, a, full t- a whole plethora of tests on 1084 using various oils and found that high-speed oil maintained the highest conversion rate to martensite out of any of them
1: yeah so um definitely a good investment uh, on your part there Brad, um you'll you'll notice the difference right away. You won't really need to change much else in your heat treatment. To be honest, uh, depending on the type of knife, you could temper at a slightly lower temperature. Like if you're making a pocket knife, for example, you might want to temper at something like 190 rather than mm-hmm. 200 because you can stand to have that knife be a little harder than um, yeah. it would be if it was going to be something that was going to be, you know, potentially batoned. Or something,
0: yeah. I mean, kitchen knives tend to stay at a relatively high HRC because you are not really putting a lot of like torsion Shock. on them. Yeah, yeah. Unless it's a cleaver or something.
1: Yeah, but other than that, yeah, you wouldn't really need to change much else on your um, on your heat treatment by moving to a different oil. Just make sure you preheat the oil. Um, fast quench oils still like to be preheated. Yep. Um, so, uh, next email comes from Mark. And he says, hello again. If I pre-weld a can and let it sit for a few days before I put it in the forge, would that be okay? I read somewhere not to do that because air would get in and cause rust. I don't believe everything I read on the internet, but this one had me wondering. I suppose the same could be said about pre-welding a layered billet then as well. You guys are the best. Thanks again. So
0: um, how good's your (laughs) welding, Mark? (laughs) I mean... (laughs) even even with really good welding because you're talking about powdered steel the surface area is incredibly large and you're not
1: making a vacuum inside you're no. just preventing more air from coming in later so there's still going to be air in there when you weld it shut
0: and red rust is self-breeding so like unlike um Forge scale, which is, you know, FE three oh four. It's red rust is Fe two oh three and it is self procreating, which is why you would normally end up with rust climbing a sheet of metal. Um so like I wouldn't leave it for very long um if I'm making canister. When I'm making laminated billets, I normally make them the day that I'm gonna use them or the day before, and I normally soak them in W D forty or kerosene. Well there's a there's
1: a difference between making a can and making a layered billet because you can take a layered billet um weld it up and stick it in a a jar of kerosene sealed jar of kerosene and it'll keep for a long time
0: almost indefinitely
1: yeah but a can because it's got that that air inside even a little like sam said that's just going to become a breeding ground for for red rust whereas the layered billet you can literally just ha- make sure it's a sealed container of kerosene and it'll just keep
0: to to clarify do not soak your canisters in kerosene no no don't do if, that. There, if there is a pinhole in that and kerosene gets into the can you are potentially creating a pipe bomb yeah please don't don't do that <laughs> But yeah, no, for for canisters, I would say if you're going to make a canister weld up, just do it on the day. Like, put it together. You can pre-assemble the can on the handle and all that kind of stuff, but don't fill it and cap it off until you're ready to do the welding.
1: Think of it like biscuits, you know, like biscuits and gravy. Yeah. No one wants to stale biscuit. Yeah, don't make the biscuits and then have them with gravy the next day. They're going to be dry, dry, dry. You, You make them, use them. Uh, whereas layered Damascus, I keep uh, just one of those food grade uh, five liter tubs. It's just full of kerosene. And whenever I make a billet, it goes in there anyway because I can pre-flux my billet while it's wet with kerosene, uh, which <laughs> is always always handy. But if I need to leave it for like something comes up, I can leave it in there almost indefinitely. Mm. So Just
0: don't do it well, a can. Because I can't live at my shop anymore, I don't do that. I have to assemble my billet the day that I'm going to weld it together. But, you know, it doesn't really make a difference. But if you had a,
1: a jar of, uh, or a vat of kerosene in your bedroom, you could just take it home with you.
0: I'd probably have some serious issues. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, don't all people keep a jar of kerosene in their bedroom?
0: Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to tell you this, Alex, but no. <laughs> All right, so
1: Mark's back with another email, and he says, hello again. haha. Ha. So I'm hell-bent on getting my propane forge to a welding temperature. It has two inches of kaowool, four thin coats of Sate Night Rigidizer, and two thin coats of ITC 100 HT. I have a ceramic kiln shelf and a thermocouple on order and I've turned my venturi burners to the best uh, tuned my venturi burners to the best of my ability. I also leave a small opening at the doors so the forge can breathe. I don't believe there is anything else I can do. I do forge welding coal, but would like to have the option of gas. If it isn't possible with that, I've done the next step and it is to buy a forced air forge uh, or a more efficient one. Uh, one burner for billets and canisters. My high temp laser thermometer reads 2100 Fahrenheit or 1150 C in the center but I don't trust its accuracy, hence the thermocouple on order. Looking at the pics, can you... Oh, he's emailed us some photos. Looking at the pics, can you critique what I have, please? Also, at what temp would you recommend for forge welding 1084 with 15 and 20? I've read anywhere from 2100F to 2700F, so 1150C to 1500C. Thanks again for your help and advice, Mark. So when it comes to forge welding, I would actually not count on um, reading temperatures to do a forge weld, um, simply because you any temperature that you can measure is only going to tell you the temperature of the outside of the billet. So the best technique I can um, offer is one I learned from Big Fudge, and that's the shadow technique. So you have it sitting on your forge floor and when you think it's up to temperature, move the billet to one side in your forge. If it leaves a shadow on the forge floor, the core of that billet is not up to temperature yet. If you move that billet and there is no shadow left in its place, that whole thing is up to temperature. Um, So you can then do things like, um, you know, that the forge down, Um, some quarter inch round bar to a thin point and see if the surface of the billet is tacky Um, you can see whether or not the uh, flux molten flux is bubbling on the surface that'll give you a good idea that it the temperature inside your forge is ready for forge weld i wouldn't be trying to read the infrared thermometer or a thermocouple and look at the reading of that and say okay now it's okay for me to forge weld this billet of these particular steels i would be looking at the bigger picture
0: yeah and i would and i would suggest trying out some small forge welds first do a do a single layer laminate do like a nimi laminate where you just get a piece of inch by quarter inch and slap another piece inch by quarter inch on the top with some flux in between it stick it in there and try and get them to stick together um because you'll waste less material doing that, doing that if it ends up going wrong. Um, but the other thing is, of course, once you pull it out of the forge at welding temp, you'll know from a coal forge, you'll see that ethereal blue smoke that comes off from the, the flux. If you're not seeing that pulling it out of a gas forge, then it's not up to temperature. We had um, an
1: episode uh, called Getting You Forge Welding. Um, yeah. geez, about, what, 50 episodes ago now.
0: But looking at, looking at your setup... I don't see why it wouldn't be able to forge weld. Yeah.
1: You, you don't, I- definitely don't need to upgrade to a forced air burner or, or multi-burner forges and things. I use a single small burner post box forge and can forge weld 2-inch by 2-inch by 4-inch billets with no problem, like really easy at like 20 PSI.
0: Yeah, I just I just upgraded mine to a big burner purely because I want to do bigger billets. But like mm. with my small burner, I welded up a six pound billet of Damascus in my post box. Yeah. So and that was venturi. It's all venturi. Um, and like when so we yeah. had
1: Tobias on um, from Apex Ultra, he pointed out quite rightly that. Um, if you go really heavy on your refractory it does take your forge longer to get up to temperature because it's not just getting the billet up to temperature it's getting the refractory up to temperature around it in order to be able to hold those temperatures so you can do smaller lightweight forges that if designed well can reach forge warding temperatures or you can do big heavy ones that take longer to get up to temperature but can also do those forge warding temperatures so um it's There's no sort of secret recipe that it has to be this setup in order to be able yeah. to do it.
0: I think Alex and I have both said at one point or another that we both wait about 45 minutes to an hour before we start using our forge, forges for forge welding, yeah. because that's how long it takes breath. for the yeah, because that's how long it takes for the forge to get truly up to temp.
1: And like every forge is a little different. After a while, you get to know your forge, and you can look at it and go, "That's ready." Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you just you just know it's like okay the flames are sticking out about nine inches from the door i'm pretty (laughs) sure that's pretty good now because if your refractory isn't up to that temperature the dragon's breath doesn't happen
0: yeah that's true not
1: not to that size you know you'll get a little piddly dragon's breath
0: on the matter of like um thermocouples and stuff that thermocouple would not last long at welding temps they're just like it they just don't most of the guys that I know that have used thermocouples for their welding only use the thermocouple once or twice to make sure that they're getting their settings right. And then they never mm-hmm. use it again because they just don't want to keep running through the thermocouples. <laughs> yeah, it's that getting to know
1: you stage with your forge. Um, but yeah. the temperatures you're talking about are more than enough to forge weld. Um, if you're using a high quality flux like sure Weld, you can get a forge weld to happen in carbon steel as low as 850 degrees Celsius, Celsius. that is. Yeah. Um, It's like 1550, 1600. I don't recommend going for that and trying for it, but you can do it. Um, Steel
0: will technically weld to itself in a vacuum, like without heat. So, surface prep
1: is a big part of it as well.
0: The only reason we need heat here is because we have oxygen in our atmosphere. Damn, oxygen getting in the way. Yeah, terrible. So, hopefully,
1: that helps, Mark, um, and good luck to you. So um, with emails out of the way, who's been inspiring you this week? Sam?
0: Well, this is an inspiration that I found very recently, as you and I discussed just before the show. <laughs> um, and it was one that I kind of just stumbled across on Facebook because someone shared a post of theirs. And the post was about a, a project that they had embarked upon. Um, they're an Italian sword maker by the name of Giovanni uh, Armarero, um Italian armorer on Instagram and Facebook, uh, Italian armorer, all one word. Um, and the project was to source and make a, a rapier entirely from Italian materials by hand. Right. So they sourced the blue, like they sourced the iron ore from the mountains of Italy. They made their own charcoal from Italian spruce pine. <laughs> they then forged the bloomery, made the steel and the wrought iron for the fittings and all that kind of stuff. They did a traditional uh, wrought iron tang and ricasso and then bloomery steel blade setup. And then they made all the wrought iron fittings and they made a Pappenheimer style rapier body, which is one of my favorite hilts for rapiers Uh, because it's kind of a mix between a shell guard and a swept hilt rapier so it offers the ability the protection of something like a cup hilt that the spanish really like um but it also looks a lot more stylish than it i don't really like cup hilts (laughs) but it's just that really nice uh ergonomic look um and everything was entirely sourced and made in italy and, like, the, the pommel was forged to shape. Like, all of the guard was forge-welded out of pieces of wrought iron that they themselves had bloomed. Um, and it just, it's incredible. Like, it is everything I've ever wanted. Because I'm a huge rapier nerd. Like, I am massive rapier nerd. And back when at Arms were doing, like, the historical builds, I would comment on every one of their videos that I wanted a historic rapier build with bloomery steel. Because they were doing all mm-hmm. those bloomery katanas and they did the Ulfbert, and I was like, come on, guys, just someone make a bloomery steel rapier. <laughs> <laughs> and then here's this guy who finally makes a bloomery steel rapier out of, and, like, Glorious credit to him. Italian he's, steel. Yeah, he's doing it to, like, he's doing it to, to kind of honor the tradition of Italian fencing, and Italian fencing is, like, world-renowned, uh, in like, HEMA circles and, and mar- like, European martial arts circles like I'm a part of. Uh, I studied Achille Morozzo, which is an Italian style of sword, swordsmanship. But um, he's doing it to, like, honor that tradition, but also honoring the tradition of the swordsmiths that were making the weapons that these swordsmen used. And I love that. Like, I love the fact, like, there's photos of him in the mines in Italy. Yeah. Sourcing the, there's like photos of him. If you want something
1: done right, you've got to do it yourself.
0: (laughs) Like there's there's photos of him like making the charcoal. There's photos of him making the bloomery, and you're like it's all put together in this awesome like post post by post. uh, You know, like going through the process. And I just I I fell in love with it immediately, and I had to know who he was, and I almost lost the post. (laughs) So I was like, I need to find this person now. Um, but yeah, looking at their Instagram page, obviously they're an Italian armorer, so they do make a lot of armor uh, and their armor looks amazing, but they also do stuff like bill hooks and pikes and, you know, lots of uh, very authentic medieval constructions of pieces. And yeah, I just, I love the approach that they've taken to their work. It's also clean, but also very, like, you can tell that hands have made this.
1: Mm.
0: <laughs> you know, it, it is v- very evocative of the medieval period where you had master craftsmen making the very best equipment, but doing it in situations where they didn't have CNC machines. Yeah. So the cleanliness is, is like, left with that little tint of human touch. I love it. Anyway. <laughs> I'm just going to fanboy for another hour or two <laughs> about this, this bloody rapier. Um, well, it
1: seems that they um, a lot of the writing is in English, so they must be bilingual and maybe they'll come on the show.
0: I am hoping so. Like, Given that I've only just found them, I am going to reach out to them and we'll see if we can get them here because that would be amazing.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Who has been inspiring you?
1: So I like pieces with a story and I really like seeing that story get told and I try and replicate that in my own work, showing as much of the making process of what I do as possible Uh, because it gives people a chance to really sort of A, see what goes into making like a handmade knife and B, lets people sort of fall in love with it and... Mm. It, it's, a, it's a good way to do that. But otherwise, if it just appears and they see a finished product, it's it's no, no different to then going to a shop and just buying something off a shelf. And you don't see too many makers that will actually go through and show the story as they're making it. Um, but every so often you do. And every so often, even as a knife maker, you will look at something and go, that's not even done yet and I want it. I want everything to do with it. I want it in and around my face. This is great. Um, even though about you watching know, me on YouTube. Even though you know you could <laughs> you could just make the thing if you wanted to, because you know, you're a knife maker as well. Um, but my inspiration of the week has been working on a project very, very gradually over time and I've been watching each new post and waiting for each new post to come out to see how this thing has progressed because ever since I saw the original sketches and plan I thought, oh my god I, I, I need to see this thing finished this is going to be absolutely wicked um, and funnily enough, it's the father of a repeat guest of ours yeah. um, Jeff Royer Kyle Royer's dad, he's working on a Bowie knife that is inspired by a Browning B25B2 shotgun. Mm -hmm. And, boy, it's looking cool. Like, ever since I saw the sketch, I'm like, this is going to be a badass knife. This is going to be so
0: cool. I've loved the progress pics that i've seen it's been amazing
1: yeah it's it's just it's a it's an interesting piece and i know jeff and i know that his sort of attention to detail that he has with his work is gonna not let him rush this he's not gonna push it just for the sake of getting it done and so i've just got to be patient and wait because (laughs) Like, each new post, I'm like, oh, it's looking even cooler. Like, insetting the trigger guard. Like, he's got a, a finger guard that actually looks like a trigger guard from the shotgun. And it's like, if you look at the photo of when he first started inlaying it into the wood, you'd think that he's working on a shotgun. <laughs> and then you you look at the other post, and you're like, oh, no, wait, no, it's not a shotgun, it's a knife. <laughs> And it's all it's all slowly starting to come together. Like I know the f- the state that it's in, like the, the the phase of the build that it's in, and I know that it's about to get to that bit where it starts progressing very rapidly into the final thing because he's been just meticulously getting each of the core pieces ready for that that stage. And he's using beautiful materials and he's just he's really nailing it and It I I know Sam is a big fan of gun-inspired knives.
0: Um, (laughs) Huge fan.
1: Yeah, but frankly, I am too. (laughs) I really like them. There's just something about it. And I'm not sure if he's planning on doing like checkering on the handle. It looks like he might be from the sketch, Mm -hmm. Um, but he's sort of tight-lipped about where he's going with it. The... The sketch sort of indicates it, and I would be very excited if it had checkered handle. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a cool build, and it's nice to have because it's very easy to just. Unfortunately, when you're a maker that sells their work and makes their living off their work, you also have to be a content creator, and that kind of kills a lot of the joy of being on Instagram, because mm-hmm. um, sort of it's a job to be on there and put stuff out. So having Like there are several, several makers out there. There's a handful of makers out there that I absolutely desperately look forward to seeing new posts from, because I know it's going to be awesome. And, um, Jeff's build of this, this Browning buoy is, um, has been a joy for me and I, like, I, I always have that secret little, I'll open it up to do something for me, like to post something for me, but I'll have a quick quick flick through the recent <laughs> post has he has he posted anything and then if i don't see anything i'll go to his page and it's like oh damn he hasn't he hasn't put up another update yet i'll admit <laughs> when
0: i saw that video of like um someone sanding the between things with, razor. with, like a, with a razor blade with sandpaper <laughs> yeah. wrapped around it i thought it was kyle like i was yeah. like I was, I was straight up that's such a kyle thing to do and then yeah. I looked at the I looked at the name of the poster and I was like, yeah, Royal Car- Royal Cutlery, it's Kyle. It's and then like, I realized when I read it's the description, it's, thing to do. It's, Jeff, it's Jeff. I'm like, ah, it's one of his students. <laughs> <laughs> it is his greatest student. There's
1: just a lot of magic coming out of that workshop um, all yeah. around. But um, yeah, it's just, it's nice to have something. I'm like, it's not even for me, this knife. I, I'm never going to get to hold this thing, but it's nice to be excited about something when I go yeah. on there and just see see how it's coming along and knowing because you know i've been making knives long enough to know it's about to explode like it's about to get really cool all the all the really fancy fiddly bits are about to start and that's when it starts getting really good you know it starts catching Mm -hmm. the light in the interesting ways and you start having those videos pop up that you watch 20 times before you click off to see something else <laughs> so um yeah Jeff if you're listening to this it's a it's gonna be a killer piece I'm super it's, excited it's a bop <laughs> it is it's a bop a I've been watching it with <laughs> breath. so yeah. um yeah if, you, if you're not already following Jeff um you're, you're probably already following Kyle because he's been on the show a couple of times we've been trying to get Jeff on the show and frankly all the Royers but um scheduling conflicts abound but eventually we'll get him on I'm sure um he's got such a hypnotic voice that uh because every so often he, he'll uh, narrate one of the, a, a video on the on Carl's YouTube channel I think um it's just so relaxing to listen to mm. it's that uh that um, quintessential american accent I think it's just really yep. nice people say that about our voices though maybe if we had <laughs> If us two talking and Jeff talking at the same time on the show, all of our listeners would be like falling asleep at the wheel and things like that because they're all just too relaxed. That's it. <laughs> but, yeah, if you're not following Jeff already, go and follow him. His Instagram handle is Cutlery, all one word, um, and then you too can follow along with this amazing build that he's doing. Do it. So with ins- inspirations and emails out of the way, that brings us into Tool Time. No, wait, technique not Tool Time. <laughs> we don't do Tool Time anymore. Now tech- I'm just very tired. It's been a long week yep. and it's only Thursday. <laughs> um, yeah, it brings us into Technique of the Week. <laughs> technique of the Week. week. And technique of the week is generously fluxing your ear billets thanks to the handsome fellows at Nordic Edge, suppliers of all things knife making from steels and fowl guys to G10 and power hammers. Go visit their awesome to use and equally handsome website nordicedge.com.au to stock up today. And our technique of the week this week is finding inspiration. Eh,
0: there you go. Yeah. That's a technique. <laughs> it is and it, uh, it like it is a skill. It's, a skill. it's, <laughs> it's it really, really, is. really is a skill, um, like because so many of us struggle with it. Um, we get especially- writers
1: block; it happens. Yeah.
0: Um, funnily enough, it kind of like our our topic of the week and technique of the week kind of mesh really mm. well. But finding inspiration, like, and it depends on like what we're talking about, because it can be anything from like finding a new style to try. Or finding references for something you want to try. Um, like finding measurements and stuff like that for historical builds. Like how do you go about sourcing information? Um, <coughs> and it, it can be a real challenge. Um, I know a lot of us have run into that issue because I get a lot of messages asking me for mm-hmm. pointers on where to find things. Um, but yeah, there like are. when... Oh.
1: There are a lot of sort of, um, like, we stand on the shoulders of giants, whether you're a bladesmith or a blacksmith. And so anything you could possibly think to do has probably been done every which way from Sunday before. And people probably made sketches or wrote about it in some way. Or if they didn't, other people, like the lovely Grace Horn, came along afterwards and did the diagrams and sketches and notes for you. Um, because there are people that do that. They go through museums and they document all of these pieces. So uh, there are books on uh, architectural blacksmithing. There are books on – I actually have a book behind me that's just about gateways. Mm -hmm. That's it, just the ironwork of gates and doors and hinges and things from around the world. And it's all in German. I can't understand a single word that's in the damn thing. (laughs) But it's got incredibly detailed sketches on things. And sometimes I will see a finial of one part of a gate from the 1600s and think, wow, that would look really good on a guard. And that's all it takes sometimes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And and like, it doesn't even have to be metalwork. Um, so many of the blacksmiths and bladesmiths that I have I've admired over the years have taken inspiration from nature. Mm-hmm. Like they've looked at the way a certain branch curves or a certain how a leaf looks, and they've kind of gone, you know what would be really cool if I put that into a knife. <laughs> 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 Cedar or Forge is a perfect example of this. Like that you know, David puts like nature into every one of his builds. Yeah.
1: And nature follows rules as well. And it's the way it, it moves and operates and grows. So, you know, learn those rules and you'll start seeing patterns and, and sort of juxtaposition of uh, the way a tree is growing all the way down to the way mycelium is spreading under the soil. There is a pattern there. Um, and those patterns happen because it makes sense. And because it makes sense, it will be visually appealing. And because mm. it's visually appealing, it can be used anywhere. Absolutely.
0: And, you know, when it comes to inspirations that are actual makers or whatever, a lot of it can come down to not not taking inspiration as a whole, you know, like looking at Kyle Royer's work, for instance, as we've been talking about him a bit today, and taking the whole knife as an inspiration, but taking one thing that he does, you know, like his gun blowing or, you know, his inlay technique or something like that. And implementing it in your work or, you know, trying that in your work. Um, Looking at the way someone, you know, makes their profiles flow into like from the blade into the handle, like maybe Jason Knight. Um, Taking that aspect rather than just taking the thing wholesale and trying to copy it, just taking individual techniques and individual like kind of pieces of a piece. Um, And trying to utilize that in your day to day. And even outside of bladesmithing, if you're just making
1: in general, you might be somebody who has a very broad range of things that they make. Maybe you dabble in a a little bit of carpentry here, a little bit of jewelry there, a little bit of metalworking there, and you just are happy to just make things. One of the best possible places you can go to get some ideas is Pinterest. Mm. Create a Pinterest account. And just Pinterest is actually very interesting as you go through Pinterest and look at things, the Pinterest algorithm learns the sorts of things that you like and starts showing you more and more things that are suited to the types of things that you like to look at. And because of that, after you have avidly used Pinterest for a few weeks, it's really good at showing you really interesting stuff to you. And so it's a really good way to sometimes get presented with things that you normally wouldn't see or wouldn't even know existed. And like Sam said, doesn't mean that you can can go and copy those things, but you will find inspiration in parts or elements of those things or color schemes or shapes or anything.
0: Mm. Yeah. And and it doesn't take much to take from like go from there to snowball into bigger and better things. Mm -hmm. Cause you should always put your own flavor
1: on something, but sometimes you just need that little, uh, the spark that lights the fire, so
0: to speak. Yeah, that's why one of the reasons I love the 48-hour dagger challenge is because it forces you to find inspiration. It forces you to, you know, look for your own identity, uh, identity when it comes to dagger making.
1: Yeah, and your your identity when it comes to how efficient you are.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that too. And I mean, inspiration can come in the form of like practical use of time. You know, watching Niels and how he makes use of his time during the 48-hour Dagger Challenge was a direct inspiration for me in how I go about working in my shop. I'm still
1: not entirely convinced Niels hasn't worked out the secret of time dilation and uh, can actually, like, stretch time out and get 100%. more 100%. He just,
0: he just moves so fast that time slows down. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs>
1: Um, but, as Sam said, uh, our technique flows very closely with our topic of the week, which is uh, suggested by Sam as combating stagnation. Sometimes we hit those plateaus and they are they take more energy to get out of than they took to get into.
0: <laughs> it takes almost no intra, in like energy to actually <laughs> fall into stagnation. You tend to find yourself there without trying. Mm -hmm. and sometimes you don't even
1: realize it sometimes it takes sort of stepping back and looking from the outside and realizing that the last 10 projects that you did are all pretty much the same thing uh you haven't you haven't bettered yourself or you'll you'll have like a facebook memory pop
0: up and from two years ago and it's like
1: oh my work still looks the same
0: that's not (laughs) good yeah i've had a lot of that recently where i've kind of been looking at my past work and kind of going where have I been making improvements? Where have I been challenging myself? And, and once again, <clears throat> it's why the 48-hour dagger
1: challenge is good. Forces you to improve very quickly.
0: Yes. It's it's a great self-motivator because obviously there is no outside impetus in the 48-hour dagger challenge. You're not going to win anything. No. And yet all of us push ourselves to the absolute limit because we know we have to. Mm-hmm. But for no other reason than because we have to. <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, it's unspoken, that's kind of
1: it's true. You, you've kind of hit the nail on the head of what it takes to break out of that plateau though is because you have to because if you realize you're in that plateau if you realize you are stagnating you're going to it also comes hand in hand with the realization that if you don't change something you'll still be there in
0: another year Yeah, and change is scary like because breaking out of stagnation means change And change, like, I don't, haven't met a single person that really likes change. There are people who say they like change, but most people prefer comfortability over change. Because change is uncomfortable. Mm. And to change the status quo tends to be really scary and really, like, exhausting. (laughs) Because you have to start thinking again. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to fall into that trap of, like, I don't have to think about this. I can just plod on with my life. And I'd rather deal with the comfortable now than the I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Then,
1: and there's fearful <laughs> thoughts that happen, like what if I screw it up? What if I fail? But I'm here to tell you, what if you don't?
0: Mm. And even if you do, what's the worst that happens? You learn.
1: It's a it's a unequivocal truth that all success is is the end result of a thousand failures. Mm-hmm. It's it's a real thing. People don't just try something and then win at it. You know, it's it, it's you're not seeing all of the work that they did to get to the abilities that they have. So if you're stagnating, you're just uh, every every week that you spend in the same place, you're robbing your future self of time that could have been spent becoming a cooler person.
0: Yeah, the amount of times that I've turned around and gone. I wish that I'd started doing X five years ago so that mm. I'd be like really good at it now. <clears throat> like I was actually I having to... this
1: conversation with my wife just last night. It's like, I, I kind of wish I just left school and got into knife making.
0: Yeah. I, like, Where would know, I be now? <laughs> <laughs> I was, you know, I was, I was talking about it with my girlfriend. I was kind of like, you know, what if when I'd started fucking Duolingo like six years ago, if I'd actually stuck with it, I'd be almost fluent now. Right. Like, but because I dropped it after six months, I have nowhere near, like I've lost all of the progress that I made and I've forgotten most of it. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh, I wish I'd, you know, done that five years like six years ago. I'd wish I'd stuck with it. And I'm like, so I could start now <laughs> and in six years time, be where I want to be. Yeah. And I th- I think you fall into that habit of kind of going, oh, but it's too late now, because like six mm-hmm. years from now feels like such a long time away. But I guarantee when I get late. well, but I guarantee when I get to six years from now, I'm gonna be like shit, six years ago I wish I'd just <laughs> Now it's been twelve years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's>, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, when it comes to breaking out of that stagnation cycle, it's you gotta break out of fear, and that's that's hard to do. Yeah. Um I mean, I've been struggling instead of fear, it's depression and, you know, like struggling with the pointlessness of it all. Um, but the only person who can give it any meaning is me. Um, And so if I want to break out of stagnation, I need to remind myself that the only person who I have to answer to is myself at the end of the day. And, and well, this is true. But at the end of the day, if in five years time, if I haven't made any improvements, if I haven't moved on, the only person who's really going to matter in the judgment of myself is me. And, you know, I, if I, if I hate myself for five years time, it's only my, my fault. <laughs> um, so yeah, when it, when it comes to stagnating, one of the, one of the things that I try and avoid to getting into stagnation is by constantly challenging myself. Mm. that's why i love the 48 dagger challenge because it makes me challenge myself at least once a year
1: <laughs> it's um why i will often do projects that i don't know how to do when i start them mm. um there have been a, a many of them that i have gotten to a point where i've realized i i can't finish this i need to actually i'm not yet at a level where i I bit off more than I can chew. and I'm not yet at a level where I can finish this. Um, I have had a lot of those, but even getting to that point, I learned a lot, which helped me get to that level. So in future me, will look back on some of those things. But most of the time, like this build that I did, the the multi-bladed trapper, the double-bladed slip joint, I'd never done one before and I wasn't quite sure what the challenges were going to be. So I just dove into it and tried to figure it out. Um, as that sort of thing that pops you out of stagnation, because I'd been making the slip joints that kind of looked the same for yeah. the last year, and this is different. I mean, it's different for me, even different profile, like it's like the, the way the handle shaped and everything. I deliberately made it different so that it wouldn't look like all of the things that I'd been making for the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know. One of those things I mean, It's like like Rudyard Kipling said, you've got to fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run.
0: <laughs> Indeed. I mean, for me, my stagnation was that the fact that I hadn't been doing any work for the last like year, uh, literally a year, because the last real big project I made was the 48-hour dagger challenge dagger. <laughs> it was a cool dagger, to be I fair. Was, it was a cool dagger and all that kind of stuff, but that's basically the last big thing I made. Um, and I was beating myself up for ages about that, The fact, especially when I realized that it had been a full year. Um, and so my stagnation was the, purely the fact that I just haven't made a knife in that time. And every time I considered it, I think about all of the projects that I'm supposed to be working on, quote unquote. But then when I think of those, I got really tired and just went, I don't want to do those things. I really fucking hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. Um, And so for me... why we don't
1: take commissions, Sam. Oh,
0: fuck. I know. I know. God, I know. But so that's what this kitchen knife is about. I'm not trying to make the best piece ever. I am just trying to make something that is going to be functional and usable and made in a short period of time, something that I can actually practice a little bit on and it's way for me to break out of my stagnation it's not going to be anything that challenges me I've made kitchen knives like this before I've made kitchen knives before but it's something I haven't done in over a year <laughs> so for me you dust
1: off the cobwebs and see if you, the the motor still starts
0: yeah and that's that's why I chose this topic is because it is something that I've been literally struggling with in the last couple of weeks is how do I break out of the hole that I found myself in
1: but it's because. funny though, you can you can build, like to get to the point where you're at now with like doing the chef knife, there's this whole like set of conversations that you have with yourself leading up to it that's filled with what ifs and, you know, mm. it's usually what ifs. But then if you can just for just one afternoon force yourself to just do it no matter yeah. what, just just do it. At the end of it, you've done it. And all of a sudden, those what ifs are all answered. And sometimes it just takes that one afternoon of strength to be able to realize that all of it was illusion and that your way forward is clear.
0: Yeah. And like for me, the big thing was the thing that was holding me back was my commissions because I would so often be standing in that workshop thinking about how I need to work on these commissions and just not wanting to. It was the last thing I wanted to do. Uh, yeah, the should. <laughs> mm. But um, I wanted to make stuff. It's just that I didn't want to make the stuff that I should be making, right? Quote, unquote, yeah. the S word. And so therefore, mm. I felt like I would be wasting my time to make anything else. And so I just mm-hmm. didn't make anything. And so it wasn't until I realized that I'd spent like weeks sitting and watching a computer screen or sitting and staring at my own navel that I was like, a day spent making something other than what I'm supposed to be working on is better than a day spent doing fuck all. (laughs) Right? Like, at at least at the end of the day, I will have something, and I have... The big thing that I get out of it is not the knife that I make at the end of the day. It's not the practice I get. It's the momentum. Do you know
1: that's um, exactly what led to me realising that I absolutely could not take commissions? Mm -hmm. I was... um, swamped, under, sitting under a pile of like 12 things on my to-do list that I would go into my workshop and think, oh, I, I should be doing this, you know, the S word. And mm-hmm. um, I just on a whim thought, you know what, fuck it, I'm taking a week for me and I'm just going to make something, I'm going to make it up as I go. I'm just going to make something cool and just like get the juices flowing. And that was like that was the intent of it. It's like I feel creatively blocked. I'm just going to make something that's just cool. And I made at the time it was the subhilt um, fighter that I made. You remember yeah, the yeah. antler handle on that? Yeah. Um, and it was just it was just fun. I didn't really have a plan. I just thought, bugger it! I'm just going to make this, and I made it. And I had so much fun making it. Like at no point – I kept running into challenges and things because subhilts are tricky to make. Like they're, yeah, they're a, pain in a lot harder than you think they are. <laughs> and I went into it thinking, "Ah, oh, it'll be fine. And then like halfway through, I was like, why did I choose a goddamn <laughs> But I never – even with all of the challenges, I never stopped having fun making it. And I loved that knife and like – a part of me is really sad that I sold it because I, I, mm-hmm. I really liked it. And every so often I go back and look at the, the, the video of me cutting the rope with it because I really like it. And I got to the end of it and got it sold and I got rid of it. And then I looked back at my pile of commissions that I was, should have been working on that week. And all of that sense of fun just drained away from me, all of that uplifting feeling that I'd had. And I realized for the last week, I have been really enjoying my job like mm-hmm. really enjoying it. It felt like a hobby again, but I was unbelievably able to make my living with this. And now it feels like a job again. Yep. And I realized if I didn't have the commissions every week would be like that. Yeah, it's like a millstone around your neck. Yeah. And I dedicated myself at that point to try and clear my list of commissions. And to be honest, I'm only just now reaching the end of that freaking list. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it took me that long like how long ago was that subheld <laughs> years <laughs> yeah literally and this years. this is this is what it is like it's it's it started out chasing a feeling and i shouldn't have been chasing the feeling that feeling should be the default for people like us
0: absolutely 100 percent. like we don't do this for the money Oh, God. None, no. of us are, none of us are getting rich <laughs> doing this. Like, the amount of people who ask me, like, how do you get rich making, making knives? You don't. You, <laughs> you do it because you love it. And people go, like, you know, why do you keep doing it? I'm like, because I love it. But then I realize I don't love it because I, what I'm doing right now is freaking killing me. And that's because it's commissions, it's a millstone around my neck, it's projects yeah. that I don't want to work on. Yeah. And yeah, so that was, that was the big thing for me. That was the, that was the moment where I was kind of like, I need to make something. And it has to be not be the things that I'm supposed to be working on, because <laughs> um, even like the projects I made for Adam's wedding technically weren't commissions, but because they were things that I obligated myself to make in my own brand, had a time limit for by a deadline. Yeah, it, it that was a, that was a painful experience as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's it's one of those things where I think putting yourself under those kind of constraints can make things that should be fun. Completely miserable.
1: And I'm sure you would agree. You would do your best work when you're just having fun.
0: Oh, hundred percent. I mean, look yeah. at my forty-eight hour dagger challenge dagger. That thing was better than ninety percent of the stuff I'd made in the year previous. Yeah. Because you for those to- yeah, for for those two days I had nothing else to do. Like, and it was just like, this was my design, this was my time, and I could do whatever the fuck I wanted with it. And while I had an absolute nightmare of a time making it. You look back I'm, on it fondly.
1: It was one of those I'm, things where it, at the time, awful. I, Looking back yeah. on,
0: hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and like, and the thing is that the project, that, the the product that came out of that at the end of it was amazing for the time that I had. Right. Like I, admittedly, self-propriety, self-proprietary, yeah, but like I am, a, I am proud of the effort that I put in and the project product that came out of that. And that's in comparison to all the other stuff that I've made, because all the other stuff that I've made, I've made under those kind of, kind of constraints where I've hated it. Mm. And so therefore I didn't put my maximum effort in. Um, And that's what I'm worried about is because I want my customers to get the best thing that I can make. But if I hate what I am doing, they're not going to. Yeah. The, everyone yeah. who's bought a knife from me that's been sold at like a knife show or something like that has been getting better work than people who've ordered commissions off me, mm. like ninety percent of the time. Because the ones that I sell at knife shows are ones that I've just stacked up that I've made over time that haven't had a particular reason to make it.
1: Did you ever finish that monster kukri that you forged on a live stream?
0: It's sitting on a bench. <laughs> It's waiting.
1: I still can't wait to see that thing finished.
0: It's going to be fun. I've got a, I've got a couple of ones that I want to finish for this, for the Adelaide knife show. Um, it's one of
1: my favorite builds of yours.
0: Yeah, no, it is a pretty cool blade. I want to, I want mm-hmm. to finish it. Uh, I've got a cleaver as well that looks really cool that I forged on a live stream as well. That thing's a monster. I'm going to finish I that have up.
1: a uh, a unreasonable love for kukris. I think they are mm-hmm. the best looking knife on the planet.
0: Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan. I want to make more kukris. Not
1: the most practical knife on the planet, but they're they're still very practical.
0: Yeah, they they do what they they do what they're meant for. Do
1: what's on the tin.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I do have like I have a pile, a huge pile of unfinished knives that I started at one point and never finished, and I want to work on a bunch of them. Well, um,
1: November's coming up.
0: I know. <laughs> Don't remind me. I know. (laughs) But yeah, so, like, breaking out of stagnation, a lot of the times it's just an internal fight. It's not about, like, anything external. It's just about that internal fight. Nothing is stopping you except you.
1: Do you ever watch the movie We Bought a Zoo?
0: No, but I have seen the ads. (laughs) I
1: love that film. It's one of my all-time favorite films because of the message, in it. and it was a true story. But there's a, a a line in it that I often think of, where the guy says, "You don't have to be brave uh, to be to to like win at life. All you mm-hmm. need is to be brave for maybe thirty seconds at a time. Yeah. And if you if you just be brave for that thirty seconds, you'll kick into gear events that will you'll just sort of fall forward into." Um, and really if you feel like you're stagnating, that's all you need to do. Just forget about all of the obligations and fears and all that sort of thing. And just do something that you love.
0: Yeah. And fit. everything
1: will start opening up again and you'll start seeing what's, what's real and what, what's is what has been truth in your head and what's been lies. And, um, you'll remember, you'll taste that fun again. You'll, you'll remember what it feels like.
0: Yeah. I, I, Cannot remember the last time I actually had fun swinging a hammer, mm. and so making forging that kitchen knife was the start of something. Yeah, even though I was filming it, so I was a little bit, <laughs> a little bit stressed out. Um, it can
1: be fun to film sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes.
0: Th- the big thing for me was that I wanted to film it purely because I want to get back to who I was three years ago, as far as my YouTube channel is concerned, where I was uploading a weekly video. A weekly project whether it be a chalk talk or a fucking build video or something like that i want to get back to that because i remember loving it like i was loving the interaction with the community i love hearing from you guys i love hearing from like the community as a whole i love being a part of it and i haven't been for so long that i feel like i've completely left the community (laughs) like yes i'm still here on the Forgecast, and you guys hear my voice every week but um it feels like i've kind of lost a lot of that and I want I'm to still waiting for your it.
1: video response to my knife game song.
0: I was supposed to do it. I don't know. No, I just want you to. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Do it with a kukri. <laughs> yeah, with the kukri. Be like up higher than uh, you. Oh man, I would lose a finger. I guarantee. Destroy <laughs> the table in the process. <laughs> Homer. No <laughs> knives on the table. I'm not hurting your precious table.
1: <laughs> so um, speaking of things that you could do to have some fun in your forge, we have a competition going at the moment. We do. And I've been seeing some entries popping up as well, mm. which has uh, been particularly cool to see. Uh yeah. And it is to make the best hori-hori. Hurry, hurry. And by mm-hmm. best, we mean the coolest. It's got to be cool. Yep. Doesn't necessarily have to be the fanciest; just needs to be the one that we think is the coolest. And that might come from what it's made from, might come from how you forged it, might come from what it looks like. Could come from all sorts of different places. But we want it to be the coolest. It's got to be K E W L cool. Yeah, that that level of cool. It needs to be like <laughs> N- Ninja Turtles tubular. Yeah,
0: totally. <laughs> Uh, Um,
1: And the winner will be getting a special prize in the mail from Orion at Otway Fiddleback. Bless his cotton socks. a turd in a bag.
0: (laughs) Special (laughs) surprise. two parcels. The first
1: one will be a turd in a bag. Then then you'll get your wood. Yep. (laughs) I just got um, a block of wood from him for the 48-hour dagger challenge. I saw. Um, Greenstone Mallee Burl. Oh. (sighs) I, as soon as I saw it, I texted him and I'm like, fuck you and your sexy wood
0: making me spend money I don't have. <laughs> you, do you remember that Bowie knife I made where I had to cut the handle off? The, yeah. The Bowie knife? That, that, was that, gre- was that was Greenstone Maliburl. <laughs> yeah. Now you know how much I cried. Maliburl of any
1: kind is some of my favorite looking wood. It's amazing. Um, but Greenstone Maliburl is some of the best specimens of Maliburl you can find.
0: Uh, it's the least porous I've found. Mm. It's really and bellybell
1: is porous and it is flaky, and it's a bit of a shit to work with, but if you are willing to have the patience and a bottle of super glue handy you can um you can achieve some stunning looks with it. Sometimes you mm. get lucky and you get a really solid piece
0: yeah right. no and when you do that, it's like the densest and hardest stuff you can work
1: with. Mm. And the um, the block I got only seems to have it's, it. Seems very there's a surface bit in the corner that might be a little flaky. The rest of it looks solid as a rock. So mm. I actually am only going to need about half the block. So I may mm. end up being able to sneak some onto some other projects. As You're making well. a miniature dagger or something. Being a um, <laughs> uh, being a folding knife maker primarily, I'm one of those handle blocks that all
0: you schmucks get one knife out of, I get about forty <laughs> knives out of. I, I have to say, guys, can you please stop asking me what Alex is making? Because <laughs> I don't know. I have not told him. <laughs> Much to Sam's chagrin, I have not told him what it is. The amount of people who've messaged me like, oh, it's a folding dagger, isn't it? And I'm like, no, he said it's no, not. That's but way other than too that, basic. I, I, other than that, I don't know. Don't ask me.
1: Nah. <laughs> Sam doesn't know. Broden doesn't know. Like, nobody knows except my wife.
0: And she's not going to tell you. No. So. Nah. Although, like I've been seeing, Mrs. Plans, and it looks pretty cool. So yeah, I really like what she's done. It looks mean. Looks evil. Look at I'm looking forward to seeing how she goes because it'll be a first dagger challenge. Yeah, well, she's
1: doing her practice run now, and even that dagger is looking pretty damn stunning. So yeah, it um, went full
0: frame handle. Very yeah. brave.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, that wasn't out of bravery. That was out of frustration at doing a <laughs> normal through th- through tank. Fair enough. We got like halfway through it. She's like, stuff it. not nah, don't like this. I'm doing a frame tank. Understandable. <laughs> and then she just like pieced together this frame tank in an afternoon. I'm like, mm-hmm. Jesus, you, you're learning <laughs> fast. <laughs> she's just like slap, slap, pin, pin. It worked. Yep. Like, oh, God, this is snug. Like, like Abracadabra. It takes just light pressure to actually get it through. And it just sits on there with no rattle on it and like. Do you have any idea how much suffering I had to go through to get to the where end? <laughs> you're just banging it out and like first go.
0: Good teachers—that's that's the trick.
1: Good teachers. That's what she says, but you know she's done most of it. So, yeah, well, she's done all of it, but she's learnt most of it. Like I explained the concept of a frame handle, and she just ran with it. So It's going to be a frame handle on the 48 hour for it as well. Cool, because stuff burned throughs apparently.
0: Uh, fair enough. I understand.
1: <laughs> yeah. I even on my first um forty-eight hour dagger, if you look really closely at the photos, it was two pieces of wood each that had been drilled individually and then glued together. Yep. Um because yeah, it's an awful Chis- process.
0: Chisel and glue, it's the old the old school mm-hmm. way. So luckily my plan won't need that. <gasps> I'm intrigued. Like, I'm waiting. You know, I'm, I'm quite happy to wait. I know that, like, some people are like, oh, can't wait to see what I'm like. Eh, I'm cool. I'll see it when it's there. It's worth the wait, guys.
1: <laughs> it, worth its weight it is, in gold. It is. Uh, it's exciting. I have actually ordered a, it just turned up yesterday, um, like a Pelican case that's mm-hmm. dagger sized not an actual Pelican case, but that kind of shell, yeah. hard shell case with the the segmented foam in it, mm-hmm. um, specifically to store it in when it's finished. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's, that's how confident I am. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: but need to invest in going- a rifle case for it's, shipping swords.
1: Yeah, yeah, that would work. You'd be able to fit two or three in there, depending on... Yeah, the well...
0: It's mostly because I had to take that sword up to the Northern Territory and basically we wrapped it in cardboard and had mm-hmm. to put it in oversized because it was longer than they allow. And God, it was such a nightmare trying to get it through. Even though it was a blunt hema sword, they kept asking mm-hmm. all these fucking questions and they tried to get me to open it. And I'm like, it's taped shut. What do you want me to do? Uh, and so, I've seen yeah. how you pack things. so yes, You ain't doing it that at pa- the airport. It was packed my style. So um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I'm going to invest in a hard, hard rifle case so that I can... St- transport swords a little easier on planes. I think Sam actually came out of a babushka doll because of the way he wraps his stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah man. <It's> matryoshka. <laughs> if 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 ever I order like if if I'm like, hey send me a micro SD card, I'm
0: expecting like a shoebox to turn <laughs> And I mean like a boot shoe box. Yeah, I'm, I'm that kind of <laughs> arsehole. I, I loved those those videos of the guys that like made, uh, that gave a guy a whiskey for Christmas, but it's in like a a cage with like bolts through. Or no, like that a, he had making like bars. Through and, everything. Oh, or the, and there's like a hundred nuts on the ends of the bolts. <laughs> and once they undo them all, they find out there's actually another set. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm that kind of person. Yep, except
1: you do it with rags and packing tape, which yeah. is somehow worse. I think I'd prefer yep. the the metal bars. Yeah, I mean an angle grinder is faster
0: than <laughs> trying not to cut the I piece damn that's damn near
1: need an angle grinder to get into your parcels. Well, you
0: know. At least they don't show up damaged.
1: Well, that's right. And smelling of cinnamon.
0: Well, I mean, that was unintentional. <laughs> I I still can't believe you cut through that bag. <laughs> Indoors. What? <Light. laughs> that
1: corner of that room still smells vaguely of cinnamon it's like, to this day. It's
0: the, it's the ultimate glitter bomb prank that yeah. I didn't even mean to pull. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, woody. <laughs> 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 I wish that I wish that I'd clarified that you needed to be on video for that. It was oh. like the um, you know like Elmer Fudd
1: when his rifle backfires and his face yeah. is black and he's all <laughs> like, like blink, blink, blink.
0: yeah yeah except brown because it was cinnamon. yeah yeah unofficial cinnamon challenge yeah that's right. But guys <gasps> and girls,
1: if you do um, attempt the Forgecast competition, use the hashtag Forgecast competition. Uh, to let us be able to see your work and see the hurry, hurry that you make. But it's getting towards the end of the month, so you better hurry, hurry before <laughs> it's too late.
0: Oh, God. That's right. I'm sleepy. I'm, I'm not affiliated with this man. I think this is the time to wrap up. The show. <laughs> That's it. Uh, If you want to
1: send us a question, send it to ask.forgecast at gmail.com or slide into our DMs on Facebook or Instagram. Where can they find you, Sam?
0: Sorry, I had to mute because I just sneezed. Um, You can find me at Sam Towns.
1: He's doing it again. He's allergic to show finales.
0: Oh, man, I just don't want (laughs) to (laughs) go. Mr. Stark, that want to go? Oh, God. Too soon. <laughs> anyway, you can find me at Sam Smith on Instagram, Facebook, Etsy, Patreon, Redbubble, YouTube, The Kitchen Sink on TikTok. Um, where can they find you, Alex? I go by
1: Valhalla Ironworks. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Patreon, Redbubble. I am on TikTok, but probably not for much longer because they're about to ban me. I've been getting account warnings. Like a, I literally I log in and little red
0: warnings pop up. <laughs> I've I've actually found out that there's a way to trick the algorithm is you put hate hashtag like fake knife or hashtag fake everything, stuff like that. They yeah. no longer flag that kind of stuff. That's how people mm, have been getting away with posting stuff with it in like their bikinis and stuff like that. So they just put hashtag fake body. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, I'll have to look into this. I've been using like
1: filters and things, but that's when I can be bothered. Yeah, no, this is true. I don't, I don't, I don't like the platform enough. Fair enough. But anyway, guys and girls, keep those fires lit. Have fun. and We'll see you next week. Bye bye.